good to be here again this morning. A question, does anybody know what I spoke on last year at the Bible session we had? Good memory, brother. I spoke of the salt covenant, that covenant that shows uh, our fellowship with God. This morning I just want to take another passage of encouragement for us in a sense about God's watchful care over us uh, because he does watch over us day by day. Well, let me start because our time will be short. There are 36 verses in the Bible referring to eagles and uh, the picture you have up there is the famous American bald eagle. It's not the biggest eagle in the world. Uh, The biggest eagle in the world is this uh, golden eagle and it's considered to be the king of the air. It's a native of the northern parts of the USA and southern Canada, although it has been seen in Europe. Its wingspan's up to 2.3 metres and it can weigh up to 3.6 kilos, so it's a big bird. In Israel, this is the largest eagle in the east and it's called the imperial of the eastern imperial and it's got a wingspan of about two meters and can weigh up to about three kilo. We're privileged to have a holiday house north of Sydney and in the tree behind us we have what's called an osprey and if any of you know the osprey it's a literally a sea eagle and to watch that bird is just amazing we first discovered he was there because we kept, kept finding fish heads on our roof and carcasses of fish all around the yard. We thought the neighbours were throwing them there while we were absent. Um, but it was the bird. Man, he strips them clean. Uh, but it's wonderful to sit on the balcony and watch him over the lake. And he's just circling and circling on the wind and then just suddenly down diving into the lake to pick up a fish. They're wonderful animals of God's creation. Well, God in his word, on several occasions, uses the eagle and its habits to teach spiritual truths about his care and the protection of his people. In Exodus, we can read these words. You have seen what I did under the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings, brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. This is the first mention of eagles in the word of God, and God uses it as an example of his deliverance of Israel from bondage in Egypt. So as we study the eagle and we look how he raises, cares, prepares his chicks for the future, we can see how God preserved, prepared his people for a new life in the promised land. So I want to just go back and explain to you how an eagle raises its youngs, young and how it looks after them. Well, the first thing an eagle will do is prepare a nest. It takes about two weeks to prepare a nest. 
Uh, it's normally made of sticks and twigs intertwined and it's erected, of course, in a high place for security. And then the eagle will uh, line uh, the nest and the first, uh, the mother will lay rocks and pebbles in the bottom of the nest. Uh, she'll then put twigs and thorns from bushes uh, in it and then finally... She'll cover all that with a layer of down feathers and fur uh, obtained from the prey that they catch. This will provide a lovely soft and comfortable place for the chicks to grow in uh, so the nest is prepared for the eggs to be laid. Well, when the uh, uh, eaglets are hatched, feed will be provided for them for up to eight times a day. Uh, She's very careful to provide for a young and this will go on for about three months in the life of the chick. Uh, But you know when it's time uh, for the eaglets to leave the nest uh, the mother begins to prepare them for their departure. First she reduces the rations uh, because she's going to have to make them hungry in order for them to think about leaving. Uh, and then uh, if she doesn't, if she continues to feed them, they'll never learn to fly, hunt for food and never leave home. And then next she begins to give them flying lessons. And uh, for 12, at 12 weeks of age, uh, these uh, birds are now grown enough feathers uh, to be able to fly and the parents will demonstrate flying by gliding in front of the nest, in front of them, to show them how to use their wings in order to fly themselves. Uh, she'll be, and the chicks will begin to jump uh, from branch to branch, and uh, she'll indeed encourage them to jump further and uh, flutter across to another branch. Well, the eaglets will watch and begin their flight training by jumping, as I said, from branch to branch near the nest. And when they think they've gained enough confidence, the parents will absent themselves from the nest longer and longer. So she'll leave them to their own devices and uh, they'll have to do something to amuse themselves and hopefully uh, they'll begin to practice that um, effort of flying. One day when she thinks it's right she'll do something to stir up the nest because if that nest is too comfortable they're going to sit there forever. So what she will do she'll remove all that soft padding in the nest that she's prepared for them while they're growing and all that's left are the twigs, the thorns and the rocky bottom and so there's some encouragement for them to get out of that nest And of course, if that doesn't work, then she takes the next step and she indeed, uh, uh, if they're that resistant, she'll actually throw them out of the nest. It may seem cruel, but they have to learn to fly and have those eaglets tumble to the earth before they hit the ground. She will fly underneath them and catch them on her back and on her own wings. You know, flight training 
is scary and the mother eagle is not there to kill a young, uh, but to prepare them for the skies because that's their kingdom uh, to glide on those air currents in the skies. Well, how does that story relate to the nation of Israel and for us today? Because we can learn much from God's creation. Well, this is what God told Abraham. He said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, shall serve them and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Uh, God, when God Abraham concerning giving him his dependence and the land of he also gave them this prophecy. It was no accident that God sent Joseph and his family down into Egypt for their safety. Remember, there was a famine in the land. But it was to fulfill a prophecy made to Abraham many years earlier. When Jacob took his family down to Egypt to escape that famine that had come of Joseph's dream, He was completing that prophecy. But God also said, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Lord wanted to wait before giving the promised land to Israel because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. Uh, The Amorites worshipped other gods, They participated in numerous other sins and God was not ready to judge their sin yet. You know, it's interesting today, we keep asking the question, why does God delay his coming? You know, the world is getting more wicked. Uh, It's more anti-God than it's ever been since the church had its foundations And we keep saying, Lord, why do you delay? Why don't you step in and act? Well, I'm afraid that it tells me that the world is going to get worse and worse. And God has a purpose in that. Yeah, when he judges, he wants to make sure that men and women have had every opportunity to turn to him. You know, you think about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Abraham pleaded with God not to destroy that city and he got down to ten people and he couldn't even find ten people in the city to save the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, God and God's ways are different to our ways. And while we would be impatient to act, God is so very gracious. Well, as the eagle uh, takes care In preparing the nest, so too God was preparing his people to grow into a nation. Uh, When the famine struck the land, Joseph gave them shelter and food in Egypt. They had a land to grow in, the land of Goshen. Uh, Remember that Goshen was a real haven during the plagues that God sent upon Egypt. And it was no accident that God sent Joseph and his family down there for not only their safety, uh, but it fulfilled the prophecy made to Abraham. It was all part of God's plan 
The amazing thing is they lived in one of the most fertile parts of Egypt. <laughs> you know, the mouth of the Nile Delta it gets all the silt that comes down the Nile River and is a very wonderful place to grow their crops. It was a very fertile land. We know that it was good because when they were in the wilderness, this is what they said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. So they'd had a blessing for all of those years. But Egypt was never designed to be their permanent residence. I think the nation would have loved to have stopped there. They were comfortable there. They had the protection of the Pharaoh. Uh, but of course, we know that uh, God even stirred that up. Remember when Joseph went down to Egypt, um, the land was not under the control of the Egyptians. Uh, the High Cross people had invaded Egypt and they were in control of the land. That's why the scripture tells us that a pharaoh came to the throne who knew not Joseph. There was a tremendous national uprising in Egypt to take the land back to themselves. And when they did that, and they found, of course, they had that whole nation that had grown in, uh, in uh, Goshen at their doorsteps. And they were afraid because their numbers were greater that they could even take over Egypt themselves and, and keep the land for themselves. But it was never God's plan. God had promised Abraham the promised land of Israel or Canaan. This is just a little gives you a picture of that time frame. And our time is short, so I won't go through it. But it gives you a picture of their sojourn in Egypt. They were approximately 140 years in slavery. They weren't the whole 420. Uh, that is only towards the end of it. And uh, they had grown. Uh, there were only about 75 in the family that went down there. Now they number in the millions as they have grown over those 420 years. God had placed them uh, like the eagle does with its young in a nest. God had placed them in a place of protection and they'd grown. But now it was time to flee the nest. And this is what we read. It came to pass in process of time. King of Egypt died. The children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up under God by reason of the bondage and God heard their groanings. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Well, no, Egypt was now no longer a safe and comfortable place and God stirred up the nest by bringing his people into bondage uh, otherwise they would have, as I said, remained in comfort. Uh, but as the eagle is never far from the nest uh, to hear the cry of their young, God heard the cry of his people, stirred them up with hard labour to make them uncomfortable. 
God was telling them that it was time to leave the nest. It was only when they came under bondage that they suddenly turned to the Lord and asked the Lord for his help. Up until then, they'd been very comfortable there in Egypt. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land with a large and unto a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God has something better for the nation. And just as the eaglets are not designed to remain in the nest, but to soar in the skies, God had something prepared for his people. You know, Moses recorded it in a song uh, later this way when he wrote this. As the eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth broad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. That song Moses wrote just prior to the nation entering the promised land. He remembered, reminded the nation, of course, not only of the fact that it was God who stirred the nest, but he tells them of how when they left the nest like an eagle, caring for a young, he watched over them, protected and cared for them. Uh, this is what he told them later in the wilderness. You have seen what I did under the Egyptians, how I bear you on an eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Not only, remember, did God deal with the pursuing Egyptians, he provided manna that had arrived daily, quails had flown from the sea and covered the land, water had flowed from the rock. How many times did the nation almost crash in the wilderness, but every single time God was there watching over them in order to bear them up on eagles' wings. Let me remind you again that an eagle's nest is designed to bring the eaglet to full maturity. Remember what the writer to Hebrews wrote to his readers, and this is what he wrote. These second generations, Christians, and he wrote to them and he said, Ye are dull of hearing, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be of the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. His readers were failing to leave the nest. They were satisfied to remain as children being fed a light and easily digestible diet. But as a result, they were not growing in Christ. God sometimes has to make our lives uncomfortable in order to grow and mature us in Christ. And uh, it's a hard lesson sometimes as the eaglet has to learn that lesson to fly. But sometimes God has to put us in positions where we have to go back to him and trust him for what is happening in our lives, whether it be in our lives as a general or whether it be in ministry. Because the writer goes on to say this, 
For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For his strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How do I, as a Christian, learn to trust God? Think about it. He puts us into positions where there is no way out. You know, sometimes uh, we're in this position where uh, we don't have the answer to things. And the only recourse we have is to go to God and ask him for help. And for that, we sometimes need to know the scriptures as well. Part of the story here that the writer of the Hebrews speaks about is you don't even know what Melchizedek did or who he was. Remember, who was Melchizedek? On Bible lesson this morning. He was a king and a priest. Yeah, that's why the Lord Jesus Christ is a is one after the order of Melchizedek. He couldn't be a priest because he didn't come from the tribe of um, Levi. He was a, from Judah. But he could be a king and a priest under the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and the writer of the Hebrews says, you don't even know this. You don't understand how Christ could perform priestly duties as a priest when he's from the tribe of Judah. You know, it was never in the purpose of God we should remain as babes in Christ. And sometimes he needs to stir that nest up. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote this. He said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, Paul suffered many things for the sake of the gospel. He was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned again. Uh, You know, but had Paul remained in Asia he could have had a much more comfortable life. But remember when he tried to do so, God sent him to Macedonia and Europe. He stirred up the nest of Paul. Remember what we read in the book of Acts. Uh, you know, when they'd gone through Pygara and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they assigned to go into Bethsinia, but the Spirit suffered them not. You know, they wanted, Paul wanted to stop in modern-day Turkey. Why? Bethsinia was right up there in the north, and it had a considerably large Jewish population, all scattered along that seashore. But it was, was it that Paul was more comfortable preaching unto the Jews first. That's what he'd been told. Uh, But his ministry was to the Gentile nations. That's how God's calling was when he was told 
um, by Ananias that he was a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel last. If God had not thrust Paul out of the region he was most comfortable in, who knows how long the gospel would have taken to reach Europe. It's an amazing, when you think about it, you see, God has a purpose in everything. But look at the blessing that came from that. Thousands of Gentiles came to Christ as churches were established in Macedonia, in Greece, and eventually the centre of the then world, Rome. It was such an important situation. Sometimes God thrusts us out. But like the eagle, he experienced the watchful care of God when he needed it. Remember? Released from prison, delivered from a poisonous snake bite in Malta. God looked after him in order to protect him in the ministry that he was called to. This is what he wrote later. He said, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them. And despite all that he suffered, as he travelled down from Macedonia, down into the uh, really capital of the Greek, to write these words to the church at Corinth. He was thrust out into a hostile world, but he knew that God was there to support him, and he knew the comfort of the Lord during those difficult times. Like the eagle, he was always being watched over. And then Paul was able to his readers also. He said this, unless I should be exalted abundance of the revelations there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, most gladly therefore will I rather glory my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, that's a wonderful testimony despite all that Paul suffered. Uh, and when we look at the sufferings of Paul, they were many. But despite the fact he experienced all those problems, he was still able to write those words because he knew that God was always watching over him. But... Paul had a greater too. Because he wrote this, or Peter wrote this as well. He says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein, dwelling right, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Uh, that's the hope of all of us today. Um, we want to and would love to live in a world of righteousness and sadly that is not the case in the world in which we live today but despite the that Paul suffered all these problems and looked for the same things uh, because we have that record in 
Thessalonians and in Corinthians, how he looked for a different world and one in which Christ ruled, so too do we look for that. But during that time, he suffered many things for the sake of the gospel. And perhaps there's a lesson for us in this today, that while we look for the ideal, we live in a hostile world to the gospel. If you're living a real life for Christ, you will never be super popular with this world in which we live. Some of you will be ostracised in your work because of your faith in Christ. I know that when I was managing director of a company, you know, people respected the fact that I was a Christian. For five years they tried to sell me tickets to the Melbourne Cup in raffles and each time I would explain that as a Christian I trust God, I don't need to win money in lotteries or in other, any, uh, any other means, it was a testimony. And finally they gave up and they knew that I was the one guy in the, in the whole of the office and factory who wouldn't go in. Uh, they wouldn't swear in front of me. But man, I'd walk down the corridor somewhere out in the back in the manufacturing area and uh, the language was pretty rife. Uh, they had respect uh, but did they like me any more for it? I don't think so particularly. Um, people will respect Christian views, uh, but they won't, even, won't necessarily like you because of the views you take. And, uh, but we need to keep a testimony before people. After I retired, I worked with a fellow to develop some specialty um, primers which are still used today in the automotive industry. I own a third of the patent on them. We've patented them worldwide. And uh, somebody was swearing in front of me one day, and uh, he, uh, this fellow who I was doing work for and together with was a Roman Catholic, but he turned around to him and he, uh, he told the guy that he shouldn't be swearing in front of me because I was a Christian. He knew I was a Christian. He offered me partnership in his business, but I wouldn't take it because I, un I can't preach separation and then go into partnership with non-Christians. You see, there are some things we have to do that show that we are believers in Christ. And what we understand from the scriptures and believe in, we need to be careful about. I know a friend of ours at the church we're at before, went into partnership with a fellow, two of them Christians, one not, and the business went tail upward because they had two different views in mind. How we have to be so careful to maintain a testimony before the world. And if we do that, I can tell you, God respects it. I took over a company that had never made a profit in all of its years of existence. And with the Lord's help, we turned it round the first year and actually made a profit. And for 22 years, we never had a loss in our business. Some profits were not as good as we would have liked. But I believe God honoured that because I ran that business 
as though I would be running something for the Lord. It was a, a company for ICI, so it was a big company. Uh, but you know, God honours our stand and our faith for him. And God watches over us. That's the key to it. When we honour God, God watches over us. Well, we look for the promise of a land of righteousness, but we read this. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the, the, uh, Paul has been encouraging and challenging the ch- church to commit themselves fully to God. And he's but when he adds this statement, to be not conformed, he's saying, don't be to something else. When God saved us, he delivered us from the desires of the world system into which we were born. We can't help that. But Paul is telling his readers and us that we should not go back to the old form but set our minds on other things. But I'm afraid that today, unfortunately, many Christians are very happy to live in the world and enjoy many of the world's activities. But, you know, one day that nest is going to be stirred that we're so comfortable in. And this is what we read. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the, uh, of the archangel of God and the dead in Christ us. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we the Lord. You know, one day the nest that made so many comfortable will be stirred and this world will become just a passing memory as we are carried into the presence of our Lord. But remember that when we get there, we're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer for the life we've lived here on earth for him. And that will be a telling point for some believers who while they are saved, have never lived for Christ, they've still lived for the world. And there are many Christians who I believe are saved, but they're not separated from the world still. And they'll have to answer to the Lord for that. But until then, we have this wonderful promise. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning in this Bible hour. But they that wait upon the Lord, Isaiah says, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Um, I I think I can claim that promise this morning. Like many, uh, we're feeling our age and we're struggling uh, to keep going. But the Lord has promised to give us strength. Those that wait, those who place Literally, it's saying they're to complete dependence of, on God and allow him to exercise his will in their lives. He shall renew. Literally, it means gain 
He will exchange our weak strength for his strength. And as a result, we will be able to overcome, endure natural drawbacks in life with energy still to burn. I often say to people, I wish I was like Caleb, who at 80 <laughs> asked for the most difficult part of the promised land because he still had believed he had the strength to conquer it. And uh, I'm, I wish I had uh, that confidence in a sense. Uh, but, you know... The Lord does give us our strength day by day. Why? How does we know that God watches over us as people? Because like the nation of Israel, uh, we can experience that same help. You know, remember what we said. And Deuteronomy said this, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. God's creation can teach us much about the God who created it. God does watch over us day by day. He protects us, he cares, he lifts us up when we're falling into danger if we're in fellowship with him. He cares for us, he provides for us just as that eagle did for its young. But he wants us to mature. He wants us to learn to stand our own two feet, but not so much on our own two feet that we don't trust him for his guidance and leading in life. But we need to stretch ourselves in, uh, in our Christian experience and trust him more and learn uh, to fly like those eaglets because maybe God is going to use you to help somebody in the Lord as well. Uh, there is so much we can learn from what the Lord has taught us through his creation. And I trust uh, that you're experiencing that in your lives today, that you're trusting him for his care, trusting, trusting him for his strength, trusting to keep you from danger, trusting to mature you, to bring you to your full potential in your ministry and in your lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning with those words and trust that you'll learn something from it and that it will encourage you in your Christian lives as you move forward in Christ. Thank you, brother.